Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and nail it. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only. Protonic reversal. Welcome, welcome, welcome to it. Hell of a show for you today. We have none other than Mr. Zach Sally. Zach Sally of The Hand. The Hand, everybody. And he also played in a band called Enemy Mine, a band called Low. Uh, awesome, awesome dude. I'm very excited to talk to him. It's going to be great. going to be great. going to be great. going to be great. We are here. We have another stay-at-home edition at a weird time that confuses the living hell out of literally everyone. So, uh, yeah, if you're not catching this live, I get it. This is for folks to stay at home. Period. Straight up. Full stop, as they say. And one of the reasons why we're doing this is because we want you to take your safety seriously and the uh, safety of others. So that is the main reason why. And that is where we are at at this moment in time. So real quick, house cleaning. Thanks, everybody, for the the outpouring of, of feedback on the most recent episodes. Uh, it's great. I'm glad you guys are getting something out of it. Um, yeah, keep sharing them around. If you're someone that wants to write a review or upgrade it on like the thing you listen to, that actually helps, believe it or not. Not like helps feed the ego, it actually just helps people find out about the show. And that's always a nice thing. Not necessary. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal for supporting the show. If you want to support the show, a uh, dollar a month will get you all the episodes sooner meaning that feed is free always 100 percent of the time that never changes but you can get the episode sooner and uh get to help the show out in the process so if that's something that is remotely of interest to you it's dollar a month it's really not not, not that much money really hopefully but that said this show is always free no sponsors no ads no kidding so all right Enough of that. Enough of that nonsense. Let's play a song by the hand. I'm going to come back. We're going to talk to Zach Sally. Looking forward to this. Should be a good time. All right. So this is The Hand. The song is called The Tick.
skipped out on the bail But now you're tired at home again Looking for a hit And there's always a fresh kill And no one cares to quit That was The Tick by The Hand. And we're speaking now with none other than Mr. Zach Sally. Zach, welcome to the show, doing? man. How's it going? Good. This is, this is a, I feel like we're doing a, a close-up on your, on your hair oh, right now. Okay, there we go. <laughs> it's because I had, I had this going on my iPad. Right. And it kicked me off of the Wi-Fi, so uh, 
So we're all good. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Well, there we go. The the light the video element is, is new anyway, so it's more important what we're what we're saying. And there's not jitter. Uh so this is the song I just played is on the that LP set that uh, is the When All of the Shit Hits the Fans, the uh, volume three and four, which I love and was a sleeper last minute favorite record of that particular year. I say sleeper because I barely got the chance to listen to it before I was making my list, which this goes to show you, you shouldn't make your list until it's the end of the year, people. Come on. Uh yeah, so the question there is, uh, I mean, there it's a beautiful handcrafted package. Everything the hand does is very hands-on uh, with what you do. And the ethos seems to be sort of take it back to the truest aesthetics of, of punk and DIY and just there being like a person at each piece of the process. And at least that's what it looks like from the outside world. Do you think I'm kind of on track with that or... Yeah, I, I kind of, I think that's sort of all I know how to do, so it, it comes really naturally to me. Um, that's just, it's the kind of shit I love, you know? Stuff that right. feels like in some, like I can tell somebody made it, and that means like seeing all the weirdness that goes along with it. I'm having a little hard time hearing you, so I'm going to go ahead and turn you up a little bit. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. That's much better. Yeah. All right. That's uh. This is the hazards of doing a live show, folks. It's a. Uh, oh, that sounded Trumpy, and I'm very sorry. That's that's. <laughs> I always hated uh, the appendation of folks to things for some reason. Like it always bothered me, and I really hate it now because it sounds like the president. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so you were saying that yeah, like it's 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 an extension of of what your process is kind of normally for art. And you say this, and you're in a room surrounded by like comic stuff and uh, printed pin, printed matter, if you will. Yeah, we uh, we did. I have a risograph or risograph. Some people say, which is like a it's big with the zine people. Do you know what that is? I do not know what that is, but or actually, what should I say? Well, of course, I know what it is, but please explain for the listeners. Okay, so I used to. Um, I That's used to have a stern move. <laughs> well, of course <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but it kind of speaks to that DIY thing you were talking about. I've published my own comics for for many many years, and in 2004, I got I heard of an offset press that was being sold for 250 bucks, so I bought that and sort of taught myself how to use it. Um, but that thing was a nightmare and I was really bad at it but uh, there's this thing called a risograph which all the zine people have been um, all about for the last decade and a half but it's a um, it's sort of a cross between it looks just like a copy machine but it's a cross between like sort of a screening process and a copy machine and an offset process so it uses oh sure no yeah 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 I didn't know that those things were called but basically yeah the idea being that you can make these it's a very manual process, but you make these prints uh, using this kind of older. Well, because it's uh, when when did that originate? Was that a that's an older style of uh, print press, right? I think mine is from 1992 or so, okay. or 1993, 1992. The new ones, and they you know they make a couple new models every year. And if anybody watching this has an MZ 990 or 1090 that they're like dying to get rid of, <laughs> really. 
we we can make a, this would be like a tradio uh, bit where <laughs> you can buy and sell important printmaking goods with Zach Kelly. <laughs> um, what the what was I saying? You're you're talking about the press. You're talking about the uh, the the device and that was early '90s origin, right? Um, but like I said, the zine people have kind of adopted it and it's right. blown up in community in the last number of years. But like the insert for the hand record, um, I did on the on the Rizzo in two colors, and uh, it's just it's this it's a really really great way for me and other people to be able to bang out printed matter really cheaply and quickly um and you can just do it you know you can do it all on your own you can do it by yourself so that that really fits into the way i've run my life as well well sure and it's it's definitely it's something where you know from an outside perspective it really you can really sort of feel the love with every item and uh it's something there's a lot of bands attempting to do that to give you something where since you're buying a physical product, they want to make something worthwhile make something engaging make it more than, you know, you can listen to everything for free anyway, like in perpetuity. So the mindset of uh, which many, many artists do of like, if we're going to give you something really cool, if you're choosing to spend your money on it and you're going to get something really special and unique, it's a unique thing. There's only so many that exist, you know, a human, Worked with this at one point. It wasn't put up by unfeeling, uncaring machines, Terminator style. And to me, it just seems to match the ethos of the band, as near as I can tell, because you guys have a deeply, not purposely mysterious, but a... No, it's not purposely. It's an active disdain for like the playing the game part of being in a band, and a focus more on the... The hey, let's make music and be a band part of being in a band is what is how I would put it from an outside perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would certainly, I think part of that might be sort of by design and part of it not by design. I mean, I, the hand, I don't even know when the hand first started playing. You know, I can't remember. It was a long time ago, but, um, I mean, I'd certainly, we manage about like a show a year. Right. Uh, and I'd certainly like to have done more than that while we were making stuff. But, but, you know, after low, I, I don't think I had any aspiration to being like a musician that goes out on the road and tours and tries to make a living making music. Yeah. Like doing the, uh, <laughs> the routine, like the circuit of like, okay, make a record, go tour, you know, go be, go be out for like a long time, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so that's something that you just didn't, didn't have an interest in doing that, but still wanted to remain engaged with doing art and not maybe like finding like a new slash old path to doing that. Would that, you say that's accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, low was my 12 years with low. We hit it really hard and it was it was pretty hardcore touring making records and and all that and i i don't regret any of that by any stretch of the imagination but at the same time i don't um yeah i made a i made a solo record solo record um actually 
again, a lot of it I made in this in this studio or in my basement. That was the one that came with the book. That was the one. Uh, that was the one that came with the book, right? That was the. Uh, this is I, I'm woefully unprepared. Unfortunately, I was more concerned with the glare that was coming in off of the basement window here because I don't usually do the show this early. Uh, but there was the one CD that came with the the nice like screen printed uh, book. Was it Recidivist or was it was it Samuel? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, no, that was Recidivist. Um, yeah, like the noise piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that um, that one I did. Yeah, I did that one here. Um, and I don't know if it's a secret, but I think that's no, it's not a secret. But that is coming out. Uh, from another publisher because I ran out of all the copies I made. Oh, good. Okay, cool. That's Um, awesome. But yeah, no, in 2009, I made a solo record. I don't don't know if you, do you have that or not? I feel like I've heard it, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I, what's, hmm, good question. This is, this is going to be really compelling for the listeners to figure out whether I have this or not, but uh, I feel like I've at, at bare minimum heard it. Okay. Uh, it came out on record record or it came out on CD? I put it out on CD and then a guy here in town put it out on vinyl. Um, Is it, you're talking about the, the fear of song you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I have I have that. I don't think I have a digital copy of it is what it is. So I haven't heard it in a while, but I, I have a copy of it. Okay. So we, we, uh, we closed the book on that, mis- <laughs> that mystery. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> well, we're done here. <laughs> Okay, so you got the Fear of Song records. That's like ninety nine. Um, no, that was right somewhere around that neighborhood. No, it's like two thousand nine. Okay, all right. So I'm, I'm way, then, way off. <laughs> uh, and then I put out the Recidivist thing. That was like five or six years ago. But yeah, I mean, the whole thing has sort of been figuring out that I still like making music and right. um, just finding a way that I can do that. That. I don't know. I think when you're doing it for a living, for anybody, there's a bunch of bullshit that goes along with it. That there's a bunch of bullshit that goes along with any job. But, yeah. Um, but I think it's a little trickier when it comes to making a living off your art. Um, and I just didn't. I didn't want to do any of that stuff, but I did and do still want to keep making music. Right, you Um, still want to make the art, but you don't necessarily want all of the trappings that go with it that suck all the joy out of the art piece of it. Would would you say that's an accurate statement? I think it's absolutely accurate. And that was, you know, when I started The Hand, um, and I started it with Sean Walker, was was the first The mighty Sean Walker of uh, Gay Witch Abortion, yes. Oh, shit. Um, Yeah, I had been listening. Actually, before that, I had been... Um, in a Wipers cover band. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to bring it up. That yeah. uh, because because I heard about that from one Dale Flatham, uh, and, yeah. I, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like what's co- really? Like I, like I couldn't tell if it was a joke or it was like no. It seems like that that's a serious thing. No, uh, and it was the best name for a band that's ever existed. And I'll challenge anybody who wants to fight about that. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the band was called uh, Three Old Guys Play the First Five Songs Off the Wipers 
Over the Edge record and the song Youth of America if they are not too tired. But it was an acronym. So yeah. it was an acronym. And, and, it, and it was like whatever those letters are was the name of the... And I appreciate that, like, because I'm a big fan. I've, I talk often in the show about the Planet of the Apes school of knowing exactly what you're getting into with the title. And with that yeah. one, it was like, no, it wasn't just a title. It was like, that was a full-on description of what you will see. That was it, yeah. Um, and I mean, and actually, that was how I met Dale, because I, despite the fact that we had lived on the West, and probably we share this in common as well, that we had been on the West Coast at the same time. Like, I had friends that were friends of his, but I never I never knew Dale. Like, I knew Mike Moraski a little bit. Right. Um, but then I found out that he had moved here, and I was like, and as any sane person uh, feels, you know, Steel Pole Bathtub was one of my favorite bands. Oh yeah, I mean there 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 was there was no band quite like them, and it's for me no. it's encouraging to see like quote unquote the kids sort of like finding out about them because it's like oh good because I was kind of worried they might be lost to history a little bit like or just be part like an artifact of an era, right? I they were they were so good, and that stuff still holds up. I don't know. I love that band to death. And uh, but yeah, when I when I found out that Dale had ended up living in Minnesota in Minneapolis, I somehow got his number and I just cold emailed him. I'm like, Hey, do you like the wipers and do you want to be in a wipers cover band? <laughs> and, Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's how we met. And Dale was in the wipers cover band with me. But again, that was just part like post low. That was like playing those songs. A little um, bit different. You know, what that? It's a little bit different stylistically, you know, just slightly. Not as much as a lot of people would think, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's always. I feel like Low always kind of came from a more like punk rock sort of place, even if the the music itself wasn't exactly uh, uh, sonically shorthand uh, would be associated with that. But I mean, that's. A niche interest, the Wipers. I mean, I one of my favorite bands of all time. Like one of my bucket list guests for this show would be Greg Sage, who I've actually gotten to talking logistics about and disappeared completely on me in pure Greg Sage fashion. Sounds like a, that sounds like many of the Greg Sage stories I've heard. Yeah, uh, and, but I mean, it's it's you know the songs hold up, and and in a way, I feel in recent times, especially. You know, people have kind of discovered the wipers and, and like, you know, whether they've secured their proper place in history or not, it's a totally different conversation. But I feel like there's like their music still finds an audience to this day. And yeah. it seems like that would be a thing that people would be excited about, especially with the like, wait, what? Who's doing what with the whom? What? Right. <laughs> so this was with Sean too, right? You're saying? Uh no, this was actually with Freddie Votel. This is before the hand. This is prehand, um, prehand, okay. Yep. So this is with Freddie Votel, who was in The Cows and TDBC, uh, and another one of the greatest bands to ever come out of Minneapolis. It was a band called Skull Kodiak. Um, but so it was me and Dale and Freddie were in the Wipers band. Um, and and uh, yeah, you know, playing those songs made me realize how, how fun it is to have that. I mean, I do think Lowe was pretty damn um, but Lowe was really about control, you know, about, right. about taking all those really holding them up. 
you know, when we exploded, we exploded on purpose. Yeah, it was sort of like a. It wasn't all release. There was there was a you know the the dynamics were part of the tension, and I mean it's a reason why you know those records still hold up too. I mean, right. obviously right. it make, it makes sense. Uh, and then, well, but between between these two things, I mean, you you uh, also you played with Mike. Uh, I did uh, in the criminally underrated enemy mine that just was like you know only true heads will know apparently like it lost almost to history because it was you put out the, you know that the record there was the ep and k and then there was uh the studio the the full length right i think folks that maybe were made certain assumptions about what low was or like what the people involved with low were like maybe wouldn't necessarily have expected that now me i was like oh great this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> like that's a product for me. It's like, oh, this is this is brutal. I love it. <laughs> uh, but you'll, you'll also never be very successful pandering to me as your audience. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean that's I, that's kind of sh- I mean low the wipers band steel pole bathtub. I mean that's always been the shit that I that I love. You know, but it's like I think people people really want to know exactly what they're getting into these days. And, and I understand that, but I don't, I think the more rewarding experiences are always the ones where like, you don't know what the hell you're getting into. And then when you end up there, you're confused and surprised. And you know, like it's not exactly what you expect. Yeah. It's Um, not even just defying expectations. It's kind of exploding expectations. Right. Like I, I love stuff that's like, what the fuck is this? You know, and yeah, and you it, have to spend a little work to figure it out. Maybe you have to work a little harder to kind of be like, all right, let's 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 crack the code on this. Yeah, um, I love that shit. Um, is that enemy mine? Is that EP good? Uh, it's it's cool. You know, like, that's another one that I I'm not even positive if I have it on digital. Like I've got it on CD. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like it. I mean, I, I I like I like both of them, and I remember I liked them at the time. I threw them on a couple of years ago. I was like, oh yeah, this is still this still kicks ass. Right on. Because I was just you know I was just on that first EP, and I moved um, I moved out to Olympia in between low tours to join Enemy Mine with with Mike Kunkka. And I don't I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying the whole thing was just a total shit show. It was just. It was just a total. It was a shit show. <laughs> I mean, I've heard rumors. Let's put it that way. <laughs> like, and and actually, you know what caused me to pick that uh, EP back up was when the Mike and the Melvins record finally got finished. Which yep. you know they started. Like, they started when yeah during Enemy Mine. He was yeah, talking yeah, it was, it was like around the same time, and it, and it was uh, it's like oh Christ, like that's been like how long? That was like just sitting sitting dormant and so that made me kind of like go back and I listened to like some of the other Godhead Silo stuff and I threw on the the, the KEP and, and the record and I was like oh yeah you know this is this is cool like I, I don't really know what happened here but I certainly yeah again I heard rumors let's put it that yeah. way it was a shit show so <laughs> <laughs> rumor dispelled it was a shit show <laughs> in the end you know I haven't listened to that EP uh, probably since it came out um, maybe I should 
I mean, it was cool. Like I said, I, I what I what I really ought to do, especially with all this time, is okay. like, digitize a bunch of these CDs and stuff. I never I never bothered to because it's not like I can make. Oh, I don't have time to do that. Mm, I've got the time. There's, there's time for everything. Now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll rip it for you. And I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy. How about that? No, I, <laughs> I have them somewhere. I know. No, I have them somewhere. I I have them. But that's got to be, I mean, like, obviously Mike's an iconic player and got hit silos, you know, such, such a rad band and voice. Like, how did that, how did that even just come to pass? Was it just like, hey, let's, let's jam? Or was it like more like, let's do a, let's do a, we got, we, oh, we got a, uh, we got a picture of Brian Musikoff with, uh, with, with the CD in the chat box. Wonderful. <laughs> um, I think just in going back and forth, just playing, um, playing Olympia and all that, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure. Mike, but we we met. I think we hung out a couple of times, and then he actually just called me and it was like, uh, "I want to start this band. You want to be in it?" And yeah, and at, at that particular at that particular period of time, it was like Lowe was touring so much and doing so much shit that um, I kind of given up on the idea of having a, a set place to live. So, right, because like, why even bother if you're just going to be gone like all the time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I just gave up on that, and I was like, "Fine, I'll go out on you know, I'll go out on tour with Low, and when I'm not touring with Low, um, I'll find a place to live in Olympia, and we'll do this other thing, which I kind of did. Um, but yeah, basically, he, he was like, "I have a new band, I have a drummer. Um, you want to come out and do this?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" I think. Uh, I think a big part of it was that I always wanted us to sound like uh, to sound more like New Order. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. So, like, kind of like the Peter Hook style, because I mean, the thing is, and for folks that are not familiar, this is a two bass band, right? Which is something that I, <laughs> that is probably war- warrants mentioning, and uh, the, it's a different sonic palette. You know, there's certainly a uh, like the bridesmaid school of of the the two bass, all oh, the two basses, two drums, uh, and there's there's certain bands that have have pulled that off, but it tends to be pretty crushing normally. Like, is is, is the normal uh, vibe? So you were thinking more of like a Peter Hook kind of deal. I don't know. I just wanted us to be really metal, and also uh, I wanted us to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wanted. I still want this, by the way, Con. Okay, I want <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, like really hard and metal, but at the same time, like people are like, "Damn, I gotta dance." Yeah, yeah. Like have, it be, have it be like danceable and stuff, and yeah, like yeah. fun. Yeah, or or just yeah. I love the idea. Like I go to all these. You know, I used to go to metal shows, and everybody's kind of standing there and doing that thing. I would love to go to one of those shows and like, there's four people dancing. I mean, that's that's never a bad thing, right? I mean, it's it's always like, oh, cool, that's awesome, you know. Especially when it's not a band you would think of traditionally as being like danceable or something along those lines. So you wanted to have like kind of like two bass party band, but heavy kind of kind of deal. I just wanted it to be really fucked up. <laughs> And it, and it was, you know, it, it was fucked up. It just, uh, it, it never seemed like we could ever entirely decide between us what exactly we wanted to do. 
um, which is fine, you know, fans that their records are kind of a document of figuring it out. That's, that's fun. And apparently it was a shit show. So there's that too. It was a shit show. I don't know if I mentioned that. So, so then talk to me about, um, so, and you're still going all around with low, you know, that's something where you're, you're, it's a commitment. It's a commitment of time. It's a, it's a lifestyle experience and right. it's a lot, it's a lot to handle. So when you're like, at what point do you, at what point do you say to yourself, like, I'm not sure if this is what I want to be doing right now. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's a tough question. I don't know that I ever. Or maybe I should ask, is there a moment where you thought that? I mean, in the last bunch of years, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my end of low was again, it sounds like I'm being super dramatic, but it, you know, that the situation of me leaving low was pretty dramatic. And I don't know if it had a whole lot of, um, the last record I made with Low, The Great Destroyer, I was like, that's, I'm incredibly like proud of that record. It's a great and, record. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Mine, mine too. I think it, I, I'm really happy with that. But I think, you know, by, by the end of like 12 years of touring, uh, I realized that I didn't really have enough of a life outside of Low and, and what Low was doing. And, and actually, I, uh, there was just a part of me that was like, I want to have, I want to be able to like maintain a relationship with somebody. You know, I want to have a home to go, to go back to. Yeah. A wild yeah. concept at that point. Like, Hey, to have a place where your stuff could be and that you could like just be at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yet again, um, the shit hit the fan with, with low during that period. And so, you know, just the circumstance I, I left and, uh, and that was the way that went. But but after I left, I was kind of like, yeah, it was time for me to be done and try something else. Um, yeah, I mean, was it... I mean... Like, how... How uh, was it acrimonious? Like, was it, was it like, you know, was it something where it was just like, okay, this isn't working anymore? Like, what's... I don't, I don't want to pick at it or necessarily I'm not, but it's just, I think there's a lot of ambiguity for folks that are not, again, the true heads. Well, you know, I, I really don't want to speak out of turn here, but I don't think I am because Alan has spoke about it, um, in numerous places. So uh, basically my bandmate, Alan, um, pretty much had a nervous breakdown. Not pretty much. He had a nervous breakdown and, uh, it was it was brutal for for everyone involved, you know. And I think it put all of us in. I mean, Alan was just Alan was having a nervous breakdown. Ben, his wife, you know, it's like this is our this is our livelihood. But this is my husband. Yeah, it's like this is my livelihood. This is also two of my best friends in the entire world. Like, how do we manage this? Yeah. yeah. And it was just, it was really, it was really rough. Um, and, and the end of that, you know, 
I was kind of like, we need to stop. We need to stop everything until uh, until some stuff gets figured out and and we get healthy and all that. And uh, I think we had differing opinions about how that was going to happen. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to have you grind on it necessarily, but it, but it's something where. You know, I, I think that there is some value to to speaking to these kinds of things and having some kind of clarity on them. And I think there's some value to having it out there. And even when it's something that, that that's been a while, I'm sure it's not something you think about a lot. You know, it's like it's, at this point, it's like been quite some time. You've done tons of stuff since then. But right. for a band that especially, have you know, like was a pretty big deal. For a, a lot of people, and you know, continues to be a pretty big deal for people. Yep. So okay, so then you're you're off the road. You're not touring. You have a home. <laughs> did you? Did you? How, how did you end up uh, coming to Minneapolis? Why, why was it Minneapolis you came to? Well, I grew up in Duluth, and that's actually where I met Alan. Then, so that's 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 a deal with me and Lowe. Is basically. Uh, I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, where right. Lowe's, and the very first band I was ever in was with Alan. Uh, he put up, or I wanted to put up, like, sign, like, let's start a band at right. the, the store, and somebody else had put one up, and it had three of the same bands on there. And, um, <laughs> which which so, is, for a, for a non-major metropolitan area, especially back then, is like, oh, that's the biggest deal in the world. You're like, oh, my God, so cool. Yeah, which... Still pretty cool, I would imagine, but yeah. yeah. Somebody in this town likes Sonic Youth and Joy Division and Neil Young. Right. You know, like it's a big deal. Like, I didn't I didn't realize yeah. Um so I met him then, we had a band back then, um, and then I moved out to I did other shit and moved out to Oakland and then uh eventually when their first I did the sound for low on one tour, which is ridiculous because I don't know how to operate any of that equipment. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, it was great. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you can figure out how to do that. After about three shows, they were like, oh, you really don't. You're really not good at this. I'm like, no, I don't. There are all these knobs. What are you doing with them? Um, do you really need all these knobs? Are these all necessary? It doesn't seem like it's necessary. <laughs> I still don't all necessary. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a bunch of them you could probably you could probably do without yeah um but so yeah so then i uh but i, I had lived in minneapolis and I, you know when i first joined low i moved back to duluth for a while which was not a great deal and then i just kind of trucked around uh during the 12 years i was in low and um i, I just ended up you know uh I would live in Minneapolis from time to time in between tours, whether it was, uh, you know, I think I had an apartment or I had a couch surf or whatever, but, um, whatever the scene was at the time for what you, what you needed. Yeah. Right. Um, but then at the end of low, I, uh, you know, I'd saved up a bunch of money since I didn't live anywhere or spend any money. And, uh, I met what would become uh, my wife and we bought a house and, uh, yeah, and I've just lived, you know, I've just lived here. 
Well, and it's a nice place to to do art at too. Like it's it's certainly been it's had its, its gentrification as have many places, but it's certainly not as pronounced as it is in in say Oakland, where it's like, oh yeah, like actually anyone that it was a family that like lived there before, like is being priced out now because there's literally been this invasion of people that have, you know, in some cases been priced out of San Francisco and they're, they're just heading into Oakland because that's like the next thing for them to do. And what you, what you end up is you get complete displacement and then all the things that classic gentrification that made someplace cool in the first place, those folks can't afford to be there anymore. And it seems like, even though that's happened a little bit, certainly with the downtown area, it seems like Minneapolis has it better than, better than some for sure. I guess talk on gentrification, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so affordable, but I know that's, you know, I know that's true. I don't, I don't get out in the world as much as I used to, but you know, you know, I think, uh, the lady I'm seeing right now lives in Seattle and Talking about how bad it's got in Seattle, about how people can afford to live there, and I was kind of yeah, you're from Seattle, that can't be as true as you're saying. I spent some time there, and I'm like, this is every bit as you know, you can't afford to live in Seattle, you can't afford to live in Francisco, you can't afford to live in New York. I mean, like it's it's ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, the point being, you still can um, afford to live in Minneapolis, and, and and it's a great place to. Make art. Yeah, it seems it seems like it's very it's much more welcoming as a place to make art and, and do music and things along those lines than a lot of places. Which you would at one point it seemed like there were a lot more places that you could do that with, and I feel like that's kind of become like a narrowing list personally. Like you know maybe I'm being cynical about it, but there's definitely places that seem far more interested in being a quote unquote tech hub or whatever along those lines than anything you know remotely involving arts. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of talk about that shit, but um, but but let's be clear. I didn't say uh, it's a good place to make art. I don't think it's a great place to try to make a living making art. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah certainly not. That's that's I, if yeah. if any of us find that place, uh, we better keep it secret so it doesn't get overrun because <laughs> I'm not sure that exists right now. Yeah. Uh, well, especially right now, but so then. Move to Minneapolis. You've got the uh, <laughs> the incredibly long named Wipers cover band going with uh, Dale Flatham uh, from Steel Pole, and you're doing that for a couple years. It's kind of like, is it more like I'm just going to do this because I want to do this? Like you don't? I mean, it's not like a it's a niche interest to say, to say the least, uh, but a specific cool niche interest, like a nice niche. But it's not something where you're not going to go on a world tour with that. And right. that's not what you were looking for at the time. No, I mean, I, uh, I think honestly, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make music in a way that was absolutely everything else except that I had a blast doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there absolutely no reason to do this thing other than a straight-up joy in playing music and playing these songs. And, and you know, I made that solo record, and that was fucking weird because I don't like being 
the guy and you know like right yeah yeah whatever. which is kind of necessary was, when you're the you're the when you're the guy that you got to be the guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I the songs were really kind of like personal and, and all that jazz that are supposed to be and i was just like fuck it i just want to play these these like ironclad songs that just kill i just want to play them and i just want to do that and uh and see if that's as much fun as it sounds in my head. Right. And playing those songs was that much fun. And after doing that, I was like, well, shit, that was that fun. I should just write songs that are that sort of full release. That have know? that kind of immediacy, that have that release. So then that is what led to The Hand, right? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the, the idea being that you're... You're playing this very immediate music that is challenging, but it's propulsive. There, there's, there's a, an element of, if not danger, like immediacy to, to all of it. Yeah, and I mean, it, it basically came down to like I want to be in a band that feels like listening to this could be doing Eight Miles High. Right. That single. Honorable goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> want to be in a band that feels like it feels when I listen to that seven inch yeah and um and yeah so I called up Sean and I was like and and also you know at the beginning we had I don't think it's lofty but I was kind of like I don't ever want to play a rock club I don't I don't ever want to play on a stage I right. just don't want I just don't want to do any of that shit like rock clubs are terrible I hate <laughs> It's just like every time you go to a rock club, you kind of know what's going to happen, and you know what you get, and you know what that's all about. And I just was like, I'm just sick of all that shit, and I don't want to do it. And so what's some sort of thing? And, you know, putting out records, that's there's this whole like emotional aspect and all this shit. Like that. I, was just like, I don't want to do any of that. I want to do this thing. Um, that is nothing but... It's only the parts of making music that I like and none of the parts that I don't like. Sure. So, um, yeah, and again, that harkens back to what I was talking about earlier, is that to me it seemed like there was almost disdain for the parts of being in a band that were not the things that you cared about, Uh, which was kind of refreshing in a way because it's sort of like just like, okay, you know, we're not going to – write up a bio and put it on like, you know, the social media site and like, you know, do this and do that. And all these like, Oh God, it sounds so exhausting. And it was like, Oh no, there's just this weird thing. It's called the hand. And it's, you know, it's, it seems to be kind of mysterious, but I think that's just a side effect of aggressive disinterest in that piece of, uh, that piece of being in a band. And I think it's all, well, it's that, but it's also just me not knowing how to do any of that. Well, so, so so my immediate reaction to that was I was jealous. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was like, that's great. Are you kidding me? Oh, so cool. But, but I mean, at the same time, you know, I think it's uh, after we started making, you know, I think there's a lot of hand songs that I think absolutely slay. And I don't know if right. uh, I don't know if the amount of people who might be into it. Uh, have been able to hear it just because of our that disinterest or ineptitude or whatever. But it's also a matter of like, you know, me and Dale and at first Sean and uh, after Sean left the band, Carl uh, being 
playing drums. It's just it was also just sort of a matter of like we couldn't do a bunch of the stuff that we wanted to, you know, like uh, right. There was four separate years where we were supposed to play a show in Chicago. Like, oh, we're going to play a show out of town. We're going to play in Chicago. And I swear, every, for four years, something would happen. We're just like, we just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Right. We just, for whatever reason, like adult reasons, kids or jobs or somebody breaking their leg or whatever, we just couldn't do it. Um, yeah, it, it didn't. Well, and and that again ties into the it not really seeming like you guys wanted to quote unquote play the game necessarily, but it it almost led to like the mindset that you people imbue meaning into things that aren't necessarily the meaning that was uh, originally implied by uh, by a vacuum. That that's how the whole you know '90s aesthetic really came through was like oh no we don't have an image which uh, no, no image ended up becoming an image itself right and it was almost from an outside perspective like oh man these guys like they just they're just you know brutal they don't like anything you know like like <laughs> just because you weren't like doing any of those those things but then by the same token if you're like oh no like you know they have recordings like it's just that you kind of got to like not go through the avenues you would normally go through to get them. And so I would, you know, speaking personally, I would throw the hand stuff on, you know, like, Hey, we need some music in between bands, like on tour and stuff. And I throw it on people like, wow, what the hell is this? This is awesome. And like, Oh, let's go this band called the hand. And they'd be like, I'm never going to remember that. I'm like, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but when people did remember it, they would be like, wow, that's really good. I'm, I'm it's like, how come I never heard about them? I'm like, mm. They don't have a huge online presence, is what I would normally say. <laughs> but then having like a you know a a record that people can get and people can like go to Bandcamp, which is at least you know the most easy to use, and like artist friendly of, of the of the tools. I think it makes it easier for people to share that around. Uh, so. You're so you're saying that it wasn't necessarily like that's the aesthetic that you wanted to engender. It was just sort of, you know, that's just how it shook out. I mean, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I mean, it definitely was a quantum experiment. In it, initially, it was it was a pretty serious experiment of like, uh, what is the most direct and honest way that you can be a band and engage with people who want to listen to your band. And in a lot of ways, it's the exact same thing as the Zoom world, where it's like, that thing for me has always been this kind of one-on-one communication. Like, here's here's how this works. Like, you like this. Uh, we made it. Let's deal with each other, you know? Um, and also, given the, the sort of parent a uh, way that the band can operate and that never go on tours or any shit like that. So it was just kind of like, what's, what's an interesting way uh, to deal with people? In terms of um, us getting it to you, are you finding Right, like having that engagement between listener and band that 
isn't necessarily trafficking the normal avenues and the normal methods of distribution, but still allowing that connection to like, hey, if you want this, like you can find it. It's yes, just, it's, it's not going to be necessarily through your your corporate approved algorithm and and application and device. Right, and you know, as we're talking, it's sort of like I don't think there was any purposeful disdain, but but kind of getting older and realizing. <clears throat> what bands had to do to sort of make their presence to be present and to get attention to them when there's so many bands and there's so much stuff for people to pay attention to when everybody's like sort of warring for everybody else's attention and like pay attention to my thing and and I I don't want I don't I certainly hope it didn't didn't come off as the same because I think you you have to do that what you want, you know, you're a musician and, and, and make a living doing that. That's part and part to go about it. Present, you know, in a certain just for me and Hale and where we're at, it was very different from that. It was like, uh, it was, it was it's more of a comment of like, doesn't it suck that everybody has to know all the right? Yeah, and, and that's sort of, I and I hear what you're saying there, and I think that you're onto something because it does suck that now it seems like that's the expectation is that like you have to get good at like all of these things that you know have nothing to do with playing music with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> in a weird room and like then bringing that in front of people it's like you've got to like become little experts in these little social media apps and then you've got to present yourself in a certain manner and you got to have this information at the ready all the time and in like no matter how much this information you have you know people only have a certain amount of attention uh and all of these devices and applications and things are actively sabotaging that by giving people like you know what can be construed as like minor cases of ADD uh, because it's it's more profitable to do that yeah again thank yeah. you for coming to my TED talk it's <laughs> no it's absolutely true and I think we all kind of feel that and I certainly feel it not outside of music as well where it's like I'm a, I'm a cartoonist I draw stuff I make stuff and there is something where it feels very uh, ironic and almost irresponsible to not have a finely curated Twitter, Instagram, an online presence. Sure, because think think of all of the you know very talented, but all all of the web comics that have blown up because it's just like it's a thing that people can like click on and like hey i agree with the thing that's on here and you know way it goes whereas what you're doing is is more of the uh you know a rich history but like more of the you know daniel Klaus and like art spiegelman like like just like the the classic artisanal comic book kind of mindset and and i i i I use the word artisanal, and I actually mean that as the the intended term, not as like a slight diss, which it seems to be like it's it's used all the time as like, no, artisanal isn't bad. Artisanal, artisanal means it's an artist that made it. Like it's literally that's definitionally what it means. It's being hijacked as something else. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm terrible at that stuff. And, uh, but I think, you know, my, my career would be going a lot better if I did pay a lot more attention to sort of my brand and marketing and, and all that. And even as I said that out loud, I was like, it sounded like an eye roll, but, um, <laughs> you get like chills at the spine, like, uh, uh, no, I just, I just resent the fact that people have to, uh, put themselves, you know, that it's, that it's necessary for people to put them out, to shove themselves in people's faces at all times. Um, that that's kind of the way art gets disseminated these days. And, uh, it is the way art gets disseminated, but it's, I don't, I don't think it's a great way for people to find out about stuff. Right. And... So then it, it seems like what you've done with with the comic stuff and with and with, with the various types of art is to sort of try to carve out this this path that's the you know it's not the major multinational corporation backed art it's 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 the the limitations and the involvement of who's doing it matter and are part of the story if you choose to have them be. Otherwise, it's, you have something that it's going to mean a lot to the people that engage with it without necessarily being for a gigantic audience. Not to say that it's limited in scope by the art itself, but by the distribution method, by the way that it goes out into the world, it almost has to be sought out for the most part based on uh, and, the world as it is. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm really wary of kind of any sort of nineties nostalgia or, or any of that things used to be better. Any of that bullshit. I don't really pull any truck with that, but at the same time, just the way I learned about comics and music and art and all that was this very personal one-to-one um, you use the word artisanal, but it was basically like people making their art and putting it out on their own terms. And that, at the time, was somewhat sort of self-limiting. Or so we thought. You know right. what I mean? And we're talking like, about, like, you know, sorry, the, the independent comic revolution that, that happened, uh, which, you know, runs parallel in a lot of ways with the punk rock world and the fact that, you know, some of it was co-opted. Some of the people blew up bigger than some of the other ones. But yeah, and I mean, you know, for me that when I'm talking about that community that I came up in, you know, and you as well, I think it was like, what, who are the people we're talking about pre-Nirvana? Right. And this is a community that is probably for me it was like everybody who bought Big Black's songs about fucking right. That's exactly. and that was like <laughs> if you if you're listening uh, to this show, chances are like yeah, you're from that from that world. Yeah. Right. But that world, in that world, the amount of records that that sold was beyond anybody's expectation, and it kind of spoke to a community that wasn't, that was, you know, big enough to sustain uh, itself, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't go into the world. But that was enough, and it was fine. But then by the same token, there's going to be a, a kid that discovers kerosene every year and it was like, oh my god, this song is about me, you know, and like really deeply connect with it, and and that's 
something that you know just like there's gonna be the kid that discovers like the minor threat discography like every year like it, it's gonna be something where you have cultural saturation but at, as this like discovery point for people's life experiences as they go on that sort of just it's not a meritocracy but certain things that have uh, certain amounts of merit can like find these important places within culture that are like cultural flashpoints on a macrocosmic level right and that's always the stuff that's been important to me and all and the stuff that keeps me going and you know I even feel a little bit with well I feel a lot of ways about the pandemic and the COVID thing and the way it's and the way it's going um but there is a part of me that wonders if people aren't going to be searching for more personal stuff a little bit more than they have. I don't know why I think that, but, you know, uh, I think little enclaves of things happening, mm-hmm. that, that might... It might, like, have, like, a comeback, like the... Uh, well, okay, so... You're, you're hitting on something, I think, really important. If you are talking about what I think you're talking about, then that's part and parcel of the of the world that we live in right now, right? That there's been this, like, global systemic failure on so many levels of uh, these institutions that were considered, you know, sacrosanct. So there's kind of, like, an opportunity for, like, the little guy to come in and uh, <laughs> and do something cool is that mean that's going to be something sustainable and something that is built into alternate paths of uh, you know resource consumption for art and things along those lines I have no idea because I think if anybody says they have any idea then they're trying to sell you they, something yeah nobody does I mean but I you know I think there's a weird paradox here in that we're all isolated right exactly but at the same time that isolation is breeding a lot more like one-to-one content we've all had to slow down shut up a little bit and think a little bit more about on the micro level right yeah there's you know like there's a lot more stuff that's sort of like okay there's this thing going on globally what's happening in my community who are the people in my community and that community because of the interwebs doesn't necessarily even mean i mean there is your local community because that's still where you walk around every day but people are having to find their community you know artistically like i can't go see bands anymore i can't see any of these things on this the way i used to so i have to a bunch of people do shows i saw chris brokaw um you know chris brokaw yeah and for those who don't know the, the chris brokaw <laughs> he did a live concert on facebook that i just happened upon and it broke my heart like it was just it was really intimate it was really really beautiful and i was just like this is a i don't know that i would have seen chris chris brokaw okay let me let me amend that I do know that I wouldn't have seen Chris, Chris, Jesus, Chris Brokaw sitting in his dining room playing these songs. I mean, that was a very 
like personal uh, experience for me. I, I never would. Sure, of course. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? I mean, Jesus, like it's going on right now. Um, you know, a, a little bit more of a, like intimate engagement, um, even though we're all quarantined. Um, and like you were saying, I have no idea how that's going to shake out, but uh, I think we're all paying a little bit more attention to how we get what we need and where we get it from. Um, yeah, and that's something that, like, if that can be carried forward, I think we'll be in a good spot. Like, you know, not maybe without, like, the nasty aspect of, you know, everything else and this resting state of like woe and general anxiety. But I think if that piece of it gets carried forward, I think that that'll be a, a nice unforeseen side effect. Maybe. I gotta say out loud, man, when this thing first hit, I felt it's coming back, but in the first while that this thing hit, Uh I, I somehow felt like less anxiety. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. You felt you so you felt like well, okay, can you explain that? So so how do you how do you mean by you felt less anxiety? Like you like just like chickens are come home to roost kind of situation, or just like you're talking about that like people had to slow down? No, I, I don't wanna I wanna be really careful with this because I don't wanna diminish the fact that there's a lot of horror and death and isolation uh and a lot of it's wreaking absolute havoc with so many people's lives so i don't want to diminish that oh sure no 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 i I'm, and like I, i'm not trying to pin any of that on you at all but i'm um, curious as to your your reasoning here I, you know i was actually writing in my journal last night and i think i got it though I'm, at least when this thing hit for the first time it was like for once, everybody's in the same boat, and for once, everybody's a little scared. Right. And for once, for the last time in the last decade, everybody's not taking it out on everyone else. Okay, you so I see, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, that it's like it's unifying in a way that, like, literally, just staying at home is an act of compassion for others at this point. Exactly. And and a sort of worldwide like holy fuck, there's people around there's people around me in the world, and I have to be aware of them, and I have to, you know, and be uh, they in uh, yeah, be they in Bombay or you know Austin or wherever, it doesn't matter. Like everyone's kind of dealing with the same the same thing, and that rarely happens these days. Yeah, and a perspective shift in in terms of like this is. Uh, This is this is life or death stuff. What are my priorities in the face of that? Um, and yeah, like I said, I wrote in my journal last night. I'm a <laughs> I'm a little bit more afraid of uh, the world seemed more insane. Our regular insanity to me is more insane. Than a virus that doesn't choose its time. Gotcha. You yeah, like, like the sort of the mindset that there can be this 
just enforce cruelty like as a resting state is much more insane than like, oh no, this makes sense. <laughs> this totally makes sense. Like, you know, you have to not you have to pay attention to certain things and you have to like, you know, be mindful, but it's everybody is like being a little more careful and less reckless, maybe. I would yeah, a little bit more sober, but I mean I think that's that's going away a little bit, you know, for for a month it was like, well, I don't it was just this period of people not walking around wanting to throw blame at at everyone. This sort of tribalism and this you know, the last four years have just been this fucking nightmare and um there's just a little bit more compassion in the air. Um and uh but yeah, I mean now it's we're back to conspiracy theories and chosen facts and uh <laughs> Yeah. And it's but I do think that that it's certainly an opportunity for, for people to kind of reset the way they think about the world around them. You sort of have to do it by necessity. I mean, it brings up all these questions like, you know, healthcare and capitalism, you know, like, yeah. Are are these the correct things that we're doing right now? And like, are these the correct (laughs) prescriptions? Like, is this, can we do this better somehow? Like, can we use this as an opportunity to do things better? Exactly. And I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, it's painful, but I hope it does open up some questions uh, about the way things work and why they work that way. And it should open up those questions for, for, for everybody. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, an auto. But, <laughs> that, would, that would be nice, right? But then yeah. we can't necessarily uh, relativize it out like that or you're just going to get lost in it. So what are you, what are your, what's your routine been during lockdown, during quarantine? Like what, what, what have you, what have you been doing? Like what was you, what have you found has been of use to you and what has helped and <laughs> what's been frustrating? Well, again, I'll go back. I'll go back to sort of where this started in that, like when it first started me and all my cartoonist friends, kind of got on the horn with each other and we're like, eh, this is, this is kind of like a normal day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Like, Oh no, I don't, I don't get to go out to large gatherings. Terrible. (laughs) It's like, I go to my place where I draw and I sit there all day by myself and draw. So, uh, there wasn't a lot of, uh, um, let me just say cartoonists are really, really well trained for things like quarantine. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I, uh, the, the teaching gig that I have that, that went remote. That's, uh, not a great way to teach or for people to learn. Yeah. Um, it's hard for, for a lot of people to yeah. operate that way. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's just I, I try and go on a walk every day. I try and uh, I try and keep in touch with friends when I can, how I can. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, time is sort of eating itself and turning into all all sorts of different things. Like, I don't. When did this shit start? 
you know it seems it seems like oh we've been doing this for 20 years right <laughs> that, <that's> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that and that's that's something that seems to be common as well you, you know i just think about the, you know the fact that like you know for me doing these episodes is like yeah i've always done this like practically daily right and i'm like oh no no you didn't for like five and a half years this is a weekly show this happened once a week maybe with like large intervals in between where that wouldn't happen because of touring and whatnot. Now it's like, no, I feel like I've just, this is what I've always done. Yes. We've, we've always lived in the castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's just such, uh, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I think the next month is going to be, next couple of months is going to be yeah, yeah. When, we open, when we open our economy back up Conan yeah yeah it's the most important thing in the world we got to open it up immediately even though everyone is going to get infected and we're going to have like a second and third wave and yeah okay which uh, which again to be clear doesn't mean that I don't think the economy isn't important I'm just saying that like this is not the way you do it and also, the way the way to have done it would have been to kind of wrap the knuckles of the people like that are not obeying the rules, and like that didn't happen. It was just sort of like, oh well, no, they're just choosing not to do it because they watch, you know, this cable news network. All right, well, they're idiots and they're endangering the lives of those around them. So at a certain point, like you know, is someone going to step in about this? And okay, I guess not. I'm not saying like you know I want like an authoritarian like boot on the face of like the the American public at all. I'm just saying that you know okay when when does it become shouting fire in a crowded theater and when there's like active infection points and things along those lines like personally i was like you need to have some responsibility not just for yourself but for the people around you and it's it's unconscionable to me to put others in jeopardy that way and it just prolongs it for everyone else that's the thing is like it's not even you you're being a dick and it's going to make everyone else suffer. And in some cases die, like literally die, not figuratively, literally die. And this is what, this is us going back to what, you know, the thing that was making me less angry or where I was feeling less anxious when this thing started <laughs> before I started ranting about this. <laughs> when was, I could not remember the last time where there was such a thing as someone with expertise that people would have to listen to, like a science or a doctor. It was like, when was the last time we could, uh, as a culture, value these people and their expertise? You know, like science. It's a good point. I mean, it's it's like because the, the 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 expert has been devalued in society uh, of late, or like made to be like, oh, it's a celebrity doctor or whatever who's like not actually a doctor or something along those lines. It is a good point because there is a burning desire, like a thirst for that kind of knowledge and expertise right now that I don't necessarily know if that's always been the case. I mean, well, I know for a fact it hasn't been. (laughs) I mean, it's like, this is everything along those lines has been like, okay, well we can call this fake news. Yeah. And it was like, we don't really get the option of talking about fake news anymore because we have to listen to these people who have facts and figures and who know about the way this works. And we have to listen to them and pay attention to what they're saying. And it doesn't get to be alternative fact. Right. It, these, these are fact facts. 
and look, everybody, you have to pay attention to them. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, it was just sort of, there's a set of things that are happening here that are actually happening. And our response to that is going to be our response to it. But we don't get to fucking ignore it. Yeah. And we don't get to say that it's not happening. Yeah. I, it feels like ages since there's been something, something like that. Or it's, you know... Where, where there's you, been at least a 95% agreed on causality of events and, uh, it, and situations. Was, look at this. There's causality. This is yeah. fantastic. You know, we, we, get to deal, um, we get to deal with this thing that is actually horrible. But there has to be a rationality and a fact-based approach to it. And uh, again, like two months in, it's going away. I can see this kind of vaporizing and turning into like, oh, it's a hoax. It's all this, you know. Yeah, and then suddenly you're back to, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, it's just a just a conspiracy. You know, they're just trying. Really, what's the conspiracy? To ruin everything? Like, who's, who's right. gaining from this? Because the thing with a conspiracy is like, look who's has what uh who is gaining from the conspiracy and in this case it's like it it fails the first tenet of conspiratorial thinking the fact that nobody's benefiting (laughs) like everyone's hurting like why this is the stupidest conspiracy ever like they forgot to make an end goal they forgot the profit motive (laughs) yeah and you know even even with the you know there's a, a ra- with the rationality and the causality thing. It's like you know, friends of mine who are who've been far more detrimentally affected by this than me. Like people who have food businesses or stuff like that. It's like all of a sudden, almost overnight, when everything was going fine, we're in a situation where it's like they didn't stop producing things that people want, right? You know what I mean? That yeah. like in a market system, it's like, well, if people people don't give you money if they don't want the thing that you're making. Right. Like everybody still wants to go to restaurants, they still want to eat good food, but they can't. And these people now don't have any jobs. Like it's not like you know? Yeah. It, it brings all that stuff into question about like how are we structuring this whole thing? Because uh, these people are all out of work and suffering now, not because of anything they did, or even because of uh, like bad economic decisions. Like they didn't run themselves out of it. No, of course not. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and it's again, you know, for people thinking it's a conspiracy. Like, would decimating this industries be the end goal? Like, really? Like, what? Wouldn't there be more effective ways of doing that? Like, if, if that was the end goal, and it's such an absurd thing that. It's hard to like wrap your mind around, almost, right? I mean, it's like, come on, guys, for real? Yeah, and but but also, you know, on, on the maker of picture, like, what are we going to do with all these people who didn't, <laughs> who are doing their jobs incredibly well, and now they don't have jobs? Yeah, and and those industries are gone. Yeah, no matter who who thinks of it. Yeah, totally. We're just gonna be like, fuck you, you're you're screwed. You know, it's like yeah. that's do something like, else now. Okay. Well what we're supposed to do as a society and I don't think that's what anybody wants to do as a society so like I, I don't you know well and I think these are certainly deeper issues that we're going to solve on this podcast but uh, it, it, it's it's all worth mentioning and I, I think it's because I feel like there is such anxiety and unease 
at the lack of controllable elements to yeah. this. I think it's been like a general state of, you know, a lot of folks are having a lot of problems right now with just what should we be doing? And the answer is do nothing. But then you also have people that they've never had to do that. They've never had to like, just be alone with their thoughts. And for some people it's terrifying to be alone with your thoughts. And you're finding all these people having these epiphanies about, okay, you're going to kind of find out something about yourself, whether you're ready or not. And it may not be exactly what you, what you wanted. And so you have like this potential eldritch horror of introspection, <laughs> but by the same token, like you, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to write your COVID-19 concept record. You don't have to like be, you know, doing, doing any, like all you have to do is stay home. Yeah. <laughs> really just like, don't be a dick. Like don't be selfish. And it's it's been interesting seeing how that manifests that turns into people like you know getting into arguments on the internet you know this one's like attacking that one because they don't agree with this one's politics and it's like oh my god i don't just it's it's i don't know where i'm going with this but it, it it's just difficult it's it, it's it's a difficult time and so a lot of people especially creative folks have been feeling blocked because of that but i think that's okay like i think it's something where it's okay not to be creative right now if you are not if you're feeling creative great good for you if you're a creative person it's okay not to be i i do think that there is a piece of this i mean i've still been able to get work done it comes and goes you know but again it's like you're getting work done and there is that like i don't know if there's going to be uh nobody knows what books are going to look like, you know, yeah. what, the publish- what the publishing world is going to look like, what records are going to look like, yeah. what any of that's like. And it's kind of like, well, on a certain level, for me at least, it's like, well, I just have to keep going and uh, keep doing what I do and hope something comes to that. But I am with you on the... It's been very strange. There is a sort of thing here where it's like doing nothing is completely okay and what you are supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people, myself included, haven't felt that way in a long time. You know, where it's like, life is a hustle. You have to hustle. And all of a sudden it's like, don't hustle. Yeah, don't hustle. In fact, do the opposite <laughs> of hustling. <laughs> well, it's going to work that well, so don't, don't hustle as much. And, um, there's going to be good things and bad things that we all get out of that, but it's been interesting to be like, uh, there's less hustle. And, and I don't, I don't know that that's an entirely bad thing. Yeah. And it, it seems like it's going to, it's going to like many things, probably be easier for folks that are able to be more nimble and, and, and adapt and change and things along those lines. Um, I mean, you know, for me, my, my band is like something that I can just put on the shelf at any time and like bring back down. It's not a big deal. And that's the way I designed it. Not because I have this in mind. It's just the way I designed it, right. um, which is fine. What is that going to look like when all this is over? No idea. Yeah. But doing this is sort of like, well, this is is nice because it first of all keeps me on a schedule. Yep. 
<laughs> which which is nice. But then also an unintended sort of side effect is that by having these talks with folks such as yourself that are, you know, we're all in this together. We're all doing this together. Even the dicks. <laughs> we're all doing yeah. this together. And to find that, like, okay, there's a, there's a flashpoint in history where we're all dealing with stuff, you know, it may not be the same way, but we're all dealing with the same thing that people can find some solace and comfort in, in hearing from others about how they, how they're getting on with it. You know, maybe think a little deeper about like, you know, the art involved, the stories, like, you know, the, the triumphs, the mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. And that's nice. That's a nice thing to, to be a part of and be part of that ecosystem. And I think, yeah, I think you just kind of nailed it. I mean, there has been comfort and solace for me in um, in the times when I have seen people uh, in that sort of like this is all happening to all of us at once right and um, you know watching how people get through it and, and uh, whether people like it or not we are all in the same situation <laughs> And, yeah. uh, and love it or loathe it, it's it's happening. <laughs> but you know, I also think again, I think I'm me and maybe you are a little bit more fortunate. Or a lot of my artist friends are a little bit. I feel a little bit more fortunate because it's like, well, making making my living on art is like I'm always happy with them. Make stuff up. You yeah. know, uh, like create jobs for yourself and go find places where you can go do those jobs. Like you've always had a job. It just the question is whether or not anybody's going to pay you to do it. Right. Right. Exactly. Like yeah, being in a band is definitely a job for sure. It's 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 a very rewarding job because you get to play music. But like you know, yeah, the selling of the merch, like the getting from point A to point B, you know, like all of the things you have to do that like. They never show in the documentaries where it's always just the same story over and over again. And uh, yeah, so then when you come from that world, I think you're better suited than a lot of folks in the fact that you know how to you know how to compartmentalize tasks and make make things uh, make things interesting for yourself in that way. Yeah, or you know how to make things for yourself. Right, exactly. Even if it's something like, hey, I'm going to rehab this speaker cabinet or whatever. You know, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a beginning, um, middle, and end to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, for, for me, it's like the, um, I'm still just going to keep making up jobs to do. That part hasn't changed that much for me. Right. So, yeah, and then and, and this is, we're kind of headed down like a weird a weird avenue here that it ended in a, in a court, but I, I kind of want to tie this all back into uh, the music stuff and, and, and the art. And, and I mean, what do we think? Like, is the hand going to be something that's a limited point in time? Is there going to be more the hand coming forward? Like, what are you thinking? Well, here's the deal. I, so our drummer, Carl, um, is a great dude. He, moved to new orleans um i think it was i don't know i can't even remember what it was probably like five or six months ago 
And he was like, I don't know if I'm coming back. Um, so the night before he left, we recorded 10 songs the same way we always do. We, My friend Ben came down and we recorded all of them live, um, except for the vocals. So there's one more hand record that uh, I just have to do vocals on. Um, obviously, I want to get that done before the, um, before the election. Uh, Which but seems then, like that'll be another couple decades for that happens, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Why can't that part go quickly? That, wouldn't that be great? Like, just like if you could choose what went quickly and what went slowly, because it feels like we've been in this election cycle for like a century. I. Uh, I and that's yeah. just since January. <laughs> no, I, November seems like so far away, and. Uh, but yeah, so I'm gonna. You know, all I have to do is finish some lyrics and sing that thing. Um, and then I think that'll probably be it for the hand. Um, I don't know. I'll put out that record, and I, I think that'll be it. Really? Uh, I think so, yeah. You're just not feeling like there's any any need to continue it on? or I'm just not... Uh, I'm not, you know, there's songs I still would like to write, but uh, playing with Sean Walker and playing with Carl or, is playing with the two of the best drummers I've ever. Yeah, both badass drummers, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're just, and, you know, great guys and great friends. Um, playing with Dale, he's one of my, I love him more than anybody in the world. Playing with Dale is, is great. I just don't. I love doing this, but I don't love doing it so much that I really am going to go out and be like, I'm going to go find a new drummer. I'm going to go. Gotcha. Uh, it just feels like like this might be a good place to stop. Um, so something presented itself if a uh, if, an, if an opportunity presented itself where there was a, a party that was a, a good match and like it was like, oh. Okay, this is this is interesting. It, it's there's a potential that there could be like a next chapter for the hand, but it wouldn't be something you'd be seeking out. I mean, so you know, we all wear the jumpsuits. We all wear these suits when we play, and there's a part of it that's always like, oh, we could be like Menudo, you know, anybody right. who can get into the jumpsuit and do the thing, we can just do that, you know. Yeah. It doesn't the people who are in the band doesn't matter. It can just be the jumpsuit, yeah, you yeah. know, whoever jumpsuit, the Devo style um, thing, yeah. <laughs> And just the way we've operated all, has always sublimation been. Sublimation so. of self for the uh, greater good of the band identity. It's exactly. Um, but yeah, like it, it, I, I'm certainly not putting it out of uh, the realm of possibility, but uh, you know, and it's always been so open-ended that it, that it could happen again, but I'm, I don't know. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of great songs happened. Um, there's some great songs on the new thing. Uh, I'd be fine if that if that was it. Um, there's some other shit I want to try. I want to start a disco band. Um, really? Okay. Like like kind of like a, a dancey sort of situation. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Ah, hey, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and I also want to start a really 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 loud meditation band. Hmm. Okay. So like a drone style or like. Like, how do you mean meditation band? You mean like a... You know how all, like, meditation music and spiritual music is, like, outside of Alice Coltrane, it's all like, ah, ah. <laughs> it's, it's ah, universally it's terrible. terrible, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, uh, what if that was really loud and really great? There's a Alexander Hackey from uh, Einstein's Enda Neubauten has a yeah. band with uh, Danielle Pachotto. I played with her. Hackadee Pachotto? Yeah, they're, they... Um... Well, I played, with, I played with Danielle in uh, just her playing solo. I played with her in Seattle. Oh, nice. Okay, so they have not one, but two, like, yoga records. Which is pretty brilliant because it's sort of like, oh, yeah, like, I fucking hate all that music. Like, it's just, it's, it like, makes me actively anxious. Like, I'm like, this is terrible. Like, this is not peaceful or tranquil for me. This is obnoxious. Yeah, for yep. my personal sensibilities. Again, which I do not expect anyone to cater to. But, you know, there's other people that come from a different place musically that there's, there's a call for it, I think. There's a call yeah. for it. And a lot of the stuff I've been listening to recently uh, has been. I don't know, are you a Tim Hecker fan? I don't. I don't who's that? Tim Hecker. Mm, not familiar. Tim Hecker. He's he's on Cranky. He's put out a bunch of records, but he does kind of like uh, really beautiful noise soundscapes. Oh man, you should check out the record. Yeah, okay. Vir- yeah, Virgins is like such an astounding record, but him. Uh, this guy Alessandro Cortini, who I've been listening to a lot of, um, and uh, Abel Mogard. I don't know, just um, I've been messing with a little bit of like music that uh, that's present, but you don't necessarily listen to it. Mm, gotcha. Okay, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Where it can kind of like it's meant to. Not necessarily be the focus, but to take you to someplace, right? Right, and I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty interested in a lot of that kind of stuff, and I've been messing with some of it. Um, that in between that and the dance band, said there's a Wikipedia says uh, not to be confused with Tim Heidecker, which is, <laughs> is, the, no. is the first thing, which is like, yeah, that's a that's a very that's a very different thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, Tim, Tim Hecker is Tim Hecker is amazing. Um, I'll, you know, uh, a lot of that. I'll give it a look, I, or a listen, yeah. or whatever you do with music. I don't even know. I don't even know what what is a music. You know. <laughs> uh, what, so what what kind of stuff can folks be expecting from the wor- the world of Zach Sally coming forward? Other than like you know the same. Am- <laughs> ambiguous stuff that nobody knows what the world's going to look like, but... <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think it does feed into everything we've been talking about. Um, you know, I'll put out... I'll finish the hand record, put that out. Um, there's this behind me, there's this Sammy the Mouse comic that I've been working on for 15 years. I mean, I love um, the, the one I have. is is great. It's awesome. The, <laughs> the book I have. Love it. Thanks, man. Um... I'm going to try and, but here we go. Like in the new world we live in, I'm going to finish this thing and like graphic novels are, are, you know, that it's a, it's going to end up being a 450 page book. So in the end, like what's, what's the way that I finish this thing out. And for me, the thing that makes the most sense right now is I'm going to do a, like five of the like crappiest looking comic books you've ever seen, you know, and kind of finish out the story play and and i just that's 
right now, however things go in the future, I think the my idea of somebody ordering this crappy looking comic book mm-hmm. and me making it and sending it to them and them going and opening up their mailbox and finding this thing, to me that's uh, that's got as much or more importance. It's got more importance now than it ever has before. Yeah, I think you're onto something with that. I mean, it's it matters. It probably matters does for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, I want to thank you for spending so much time with me and 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 talking about all this various stuff. It's fascinating, and I know you, you've you've heard the show. So I'm just I'm, I'm going to ask you the question I usually ask at the end, which is why do you do what you do? because I believe very deeply in uh, people finding ways to express themselves honestly and share it with other people. And because it's what I was built to do. Nice. I like it. (laughs) Zach Sally, stay safe, man. All right, you too. Thanks a lot, man. All right, brother. There he goes. This is X Alley. Let's hear some uh, the hand songs.
right. That was the hand. It was a, tri- a triptych. Triptych? Tri- it's a triptych. <laughs> song that was Get Naked. The last one. Genghis Khan before that. And It's Not Fair. Those off of the, uh, the hand volume three and four. Uh, collectively known as When All of the Shit Hits <laughs> All of the Fans. And you can find that on Bandcamp. If you feel so inclined, it's uh, thespacehand.bandcamp.com. And I highly recommend it. That was one of my sleeper favorites that, that came out that year. And I, I stand by that assessment. And it's something that, no kidding, every time I play it for people, they're, uh, they're down and they're surprised. And it's a lot of, uh, who's this? So, recommended 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 if i haven't made that <laughs> remotely clear is this thing on so that was zach sally from the hand and low and enemy mine cool dude like that fella talented cartoonist and artist awesome uh, awesome fella The name of this show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. It airs on RadioNote.com. Is this thing on? Typically Thursdays has been another stay-at-home edition of Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Thank you so much for listening. RadioNeutron.com for all the archives. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal to get the episodes quicker. It's a dollar a month will get you there. No sponsors, no ads. No kidding. Live listeners, we got a new Radiant Point, Radiant Point coming up Signing next. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Tomorrow's Travis from Buddyhead. Should be a good time. Friday's Jared Warren of Cart the Whip. I've got Melvin's, etc. 50,000 watts of power. Thanks, folks, that have been uh, sharing the episodes around. Always helps. That was appreciated. Not to get into the culture of like and subscribe, but uh, it, it helps people find this the show, and that's cool. Microphone turns sound into electricity. All right. So, as per normal, stay safe. Can you hear me now? Out on Route One Twenty Eight, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now?
if you're the fifth caller. Or any caller at all! Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor, but we haven't got a sponsor, not if you were the last man on earth, she was prepared to prove it, this one goes out to a special girl.
this had been a real emergency, 